just going to continue uh, introducing this week the, the Ten Commandments. Just another little bit of introduction, and I'm, I'm going to read from verse 20, uh, sorry, from chapter 20 of Exodus and from verse 1. We read again, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by day, keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance, while Moses approached the thick darkness where the Lord was. You know, we live in an increasingly complicated world, don't we? There are so many different decisions to make in life, so many different choices to make, even about the, the very simplest things. And this was kind of brought into a sharper focus for me uh, while we were living a number of years ago in Wigtown that was the proud home then of what I think is probably the smallest co-op in the world. And at the time, I'm sure it's changed, but at the time, and this is true, it was so small that they had specially designed little shortened trolleys to enable you to manoeuvre around the, the cramped little aisles. Shopping there was limited. It was so limited that I can well remember Elaine coming back one day from shopping just before Christmas. And she looked a, a little bit crestfallen and I wondered what had happened. And then she kind of started to blame herself. I shouldn't be shopping for such unusual things so late on, so close to Christmas. And I asked her what she'd been shopping for. Carrots 
and Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I think that was the time when I began to wonder if maybe we'd been there just long enough. And around this time, one day we went to Air to shop and we went to one of the big supermarkets there. And, and with this in the background, you know, it just hit me with such force that there were 40 different varieties of beans available that day. I counted them all. There's probably more now. Kidney beans, berlotti beans, broad beans, beans in chilli sauce, beans in curry sauce. Oof. I remember, and I think it was true in Wigton, I remember when there was only one variety, there was probably two there, but I remember when the only beans you got were Heinz beans, remember that? So you can't escape choice in today's world. A lot of our choices, though, are fairly trivial, but this morning what I want to do is look with you, really, at some of the most important choices that we've got to make in life. But let me just introduce this first, just by reminding you of what we looked at last week, beginning to introduce the Ten Commandments. And that is we, we looked at, at values, at moral values, or more accurately, at the lack of them in our society today. And we saw that the, the cause of this is the fact that, that by and large, as a nation, we have abandoned the biblical value system that our nation has been founded on for many centuries. And instead, we've opted for a man-centered, man-inspired, man-fashioned value system that's really all about selfishness, that's all about what's easy for me, what suits me, etc., etc. Then we, we looked at the, the cost of this and we didn't dwell on it then, we won't dwell on it today because the evidence is all around us of this. In broken lives and in a society really that's unraveling almost before our very eyes. And finally, we looked at what I suggested was the cure for this. And that is a rebuilding at the foundation level with the foundation of God. That is putting God, putting his character, his word, obedience to him, right back into the very foundations of our life and of our national life. Maybe last week, though, you were left with a question. That is, where do we begin? Where do we begin with all of this? And the answer to that is, I believe that if we want to get back to having moral values again in our nation, in our individual lives, and certainly in our church life, then we need to begin with the Ten Commandments. These are the bedrock for our moral foundations. Now, that's true even for the, the non-believing nations, why among many others, C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, The, the Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis there, he makes the observation that if you look at almost all the ancient cultures, there's a surprising agreement among them in their ethical and moral standards, despite having no Christian background. You see, it seems in effect that, that mankind has a basic understanding of the standards that God in creation intends for all people. And you see, what the Ten Commandments are they are an expression of the holy character of God translated into lifestyle demands made of men and women and written into their consciences. 
And whenever these demands are ignored, then cultures collapse. Lives and families and society begins to fall apart. But you're maybe there sitting thinking, you're a thinking kind of person, you're thinking, well, surely all this is, has little relevance for those of us today who are Christians. Because as Christians, we're not under law, rather we are under grace. I mean, that's what Paul says, for example, in, in Galatians 2.11. And of course, that's true, properly understood. But it's true because as Christians, we're not saved by obedience to the law, and we're not saved by any other good deeds of any kind. No, we are saved by what God has done in His grace. We're saved by His gift of love in Jesus Christ, His giving of His perfect, sinless Son as a sacrifice for our sins. But, you see, that doesn't mean that the law in the sense of the Ten Commandments, that fundamental moral law has got no relevance in our lives. Rather, while it can never save us, yet living in obedience to it is a demonstration of the fact that we are saved. It is an expression of the fact that we're saved. In this sense, Jesus said in Matthew five seventeen, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, but I have come not to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. Well, think about it. How did Jesus fulfill the law as he lived, as he did, as a Jew and his life on earth? He fulfilled it as an offering of love to the Father. You see, Jesus didn't obey the law to win the Father's love. He knew he already had that. He knew he was loved. No, he obeyed the law as a thank you. He obeyed the law as a love offering. And Jesus then fulfilled the law in love, always with love in his heart. You see, Jesus didn't just do it because that was expected of him or because that was what was demanded of him. No, Jesus obeyed the law with love for God and love for people, always alive and vital and vibrant in his heart. Now, you see, that's the way God wants us to fulfill the law too. That's how he wants us to live out the demands of the Ten Commandments, not as a we've got to do it, but as a love offering out of hearts that are filled with love. There are two important factors, though, that I believe looking at the Ten Commandments really brings out to the fore. And one is the responsibility that we have to make the right choices in life. You see, there are lots of things in life that we can't control. Lots of things that happen in our lives that, that we've got no choice about. But what we can do is we can choose how we're going to respond to life. You see, we can choose to be obedient to God. We can choose to make the kind of choices in life that will lead us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, that, this is the area that we're going to concentrate on this morning, our responsibility to live a life pleasing to God, our responsibility to make those right moral choices in life. But the other important fact I just want to mention that I believe we need to 
to bear in mind here, as well as our responsibility, is God's enabling. And here, let me just share with you a story that I read many years ago in one of David Watson's books that I think really says it all about God's enabling. And it's the true story of a Japanese man who was a thief, who one day, apparently by accident, stumbled into a Christian church. There were not that many around, relatively speaking, in Japan. But up on the wall of this church was a plaque with just one of the Ten Commandments inscribed on it. And what it said is, you shall not steal. And when this man, he was in, when he read this, he was enraged by this. Who was this Christian God to deny him his livelihood? If he didn't steal, he would starve. A little while later, that man became a Christian. And he found himself sitting in the same church, in the same spot, looking at the same plaque. Except now, it was no longer a harsh demand. Rather, it was a loving promise. You shall not steal. I will keep you from stealing. You see, if we've got a heart to obey God, if we've got that desire to make the right choices, then God will enable us. God will empower us. God will strengthen us. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the one who fulfilled the law out of love, can enable us to do the same. Let's look, though, at responsibility. And a good starting point, I believe, is just to acknowledge that responsibility is, is not a popular concept in our Western society today. No, we live today much more in a rights culture where the, the clarion call of, of so many is, I have my rights. I mean, as a nation, we're obsessed with rights today, aren't we? And this has led, in, in some instances, I'm sure, to, to wrongs being put right, and it has. But not always. We've gone too far, I think. And in the United States, for example, I think it's even worse if we've got a rights problem than they've got, they've got a rights obsession. For example, those who want the right to own arms and include among them an AK-47 that's one of the fastest firing automatic rifles on earth. And people say, I, I've got a right to own this for hunting purposes. I tell you, if you shoot a deer with one of them, what you're going to have is you're going to have venison mince. And then there are those who say, actually say, that a damaged fetus has the right not to be born. How can logic get any more twisted than that? But not only that, not only do we live in a rights culture, we also live at a time of a victim mentality. When so many people, society in general, seems to be of the opinion that, that none of my problems are my fault. Now, they're all your fault, kind of somebody vaguely out there. It's your fault. It was the parents I had. It was the school I went to. It's the job that I've got, etc., etc. They're all to blame. It's their fault for the messed up state of my life. Well, I read some time ago of a, an FBI agent who embezzled $2,000 and lost it gambling. And he actually got off with this and was reinstated to his job because the court judged that he had an affinity for gambling with other people's money 
which they then classified as a handicap. That's true, and it's not just in the United States. Well, I was up in Shetland, Lerwick, of all places. During that time, there was a long-running saga in the local newspaper, the Shetland Times, of a man who was jailed for swindling money while he was employed by the Sheriff Clark there. And he actually tried to sue his employer for £200,000 because he claimed it was the stress of the job that led him to commit the crime. He wanted compensated for stealing money off somebody. I don't think he got away with it, but anyway. Now, sadly, I could say a lot more, but I hope I've said enough to establish that responsibility, the fact that we are responsible for our lives, for the choices we make, for the way that we live, that, you know, it's not popular today. It's not a popular concept. But, you know, it is a biblical concept. The Bible makes it clear that we are responsible. Here's an accurate alternative translation of Ephesians 5.15. Live life with a sense of responsibility. Not as those who don't know the meaning of life, but as those who do. We say we're responsible, but who though are we responsible to? Well, first of all, I believe we are responsible to God. We're responsible to God. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, notice what it says there. Everything is uncovered. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Pretty inclusive phrases, aren't they? You see, nothing is hidden from God. And one day, we're going to have to explain to God the way that we've lived. Yes, one day, God is going to judge us. One day, God is going to evaluate our lives. And he's going to reward us on the basis of how we've lived. So you see, our life here then is a test of responsibility. Have we been responsible? Have we used well the gifts and resources we were given? Have we been obedient in our life? Have we made the right choices? Now you see, I know as I say this, that this thought of of judgment for Christians, this thought of reward for Christians, is one that some Christians find difficult, that they find it hard to take in. But my friends, I want to make it clear, I'm not talking here about judgment regarding salvation. I'm not talking about that. If you've got a living faith in Jesus, then you're saved. You're his. And there's nothing greater, nothing better, and there's nothing more secure than that. Rather, the judgment that that we're talking about here, that the Bible's talking about here, is a judgment of reward that follows salvation. But let me say, not perhaps the kind of reward that some would assume that we might imagine. Because, you see, if we're Christians whose heart's desire is to love God and to serve God, and if we're Christians, we should be, then these are the kind of Christians who please God and who will be rewarded. Well, then, thinking of that, what greater reward, then, can there be than to be able to love and serve God more? 
You see, when we talk about rewards, and the Bible talks about rewards, we're not talking about rewards that are to do with position and, and prestige. No, we're talking here about rewards that are to do with love and service, a greater ability to love, a greater power to serve. And if this is the kind of mature Christian that we are, then we would know there's no greater reward than this. There's nothing you can want more than this for you or for your brothers and sisters in Christ. But not only are we responsible to God, no, we're also responsible, and this is really closely related, we're responsible to ourselves, responsible to ourselves. Because please get a hold of this. Let me say this and, and really understand this because I think it is so important. As human beings, we are placed on this earth for two primary reasons. Two main reasons why we're on this earth. First, to get to know God personally through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And second, to develop a Christ-like character. To become in our lives more and more and more like him in our character. You see, that's, that's what God's interested in in our lives. It's another angle on what he's going to reward. That's what God's interested in. God's not interested in your achievements in life. He's not interested in your education. He's not interested in your possessions. He's not interested in your bank accounts, how big they are. No, the only thing ultimately that God is interested in is in your character. That's what matters to God. And do you know Why? Because it's the only thing that you're going to take with you when you die. The only thing, I think probably most of you have noticed that when babies are born, they're born naked. I haven't yet heard of a baby arriving holding their car keys, their degree certificate and their bank book. Listen, I've got news for you. And by the way we sometimes live as Christians, it seems that it is news. I've got news for you. When you die, it's going to be exactly the same. You take nothing of this earth with you. It all gets left behind. The only thing that goes with you is the character that's been developed in this life. And by living a responsible life, by living a life of obedience, by making the right choices, by making the right decisions, God wants you by that to build a responsible, Christ-like character. And everything else we achieve counts for nothing in comparison to that. But we're not only responsible to God, we're not only responsible to ourselves, no, we're also responsible for others. We're responsible for others. Now, that's something of a, an alien thought in our kind of individualistic culture. Because people today generally like to think and like to believe that what I do doesn't affect you. And so the way that I live shouldn't matter to you. It's none of your business. It's my business. The old Billy Joel song kind of captures this. You know, I don't care what they say. This is my life. Or maybe, going back a bit for some of us, Frank Sinatra. You know, I did it my way. But you see, it's all so wrong. It's all wrong. 
Every decision that you make affects others, even the secret decisions, because those decisions affect you, and they then ripple out to affect those who are around you. I mean, if you've got a young person in a family who's on drugs, are they the only one whose life is impacted on? If someone in a family is stressed or depressed in some way, does that only affect their life? Of course it doesn't. So when people then make bad choices, when they make bad decisions, when they choose to disobey God, to ignore God, in one way or another through the passage of time, it affects them and then it affects everyone around them. And to think otherwise is wrong. It's nonsense. For instance, say today, you know, four of us decided to get together to buy a new little boat to catch all those fish that are still lurking around the west coast of Scotland. So we decide, four of us get together, and we decide to buy a boat, and because I come from Ayrshire, I want to divide it up and make sure everybody knows what bit is theirs and everybody knows what's the, what they own. So we get out there in the water, and suddenly I take out a drill and begin drink, drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat. And that's kind of a bit, you've got to have a big stretch to think of me drilling some. But say, I do, and... And you shout out when you see me doing this, drilling a hole in the bottom of this boat, what are you doing? You can't do that. And I call back, why not? It's my life. This is my space. Well, it's not true. It's not true. The problem is that we're all in the same boat. And if the boat goes down, All of us go down with it. You see, friends, we're not independent people. And we're not supposed to be dependent people. But we are interdependent. Our lives touch one another. Our lives affect one another. So we're responsible to others for the way that we live. We're responsible for our decisions, our choices, for our obedience, for our disobedience, because it does affect them. So finally this morning, just to finish, how then can we become more responsible? How can we make better choices and decisions? Let me just briefly make three suggestions. First, by going against the flow. For you see, living in this world today, living in the culture that we live, the people who are idolized in our culture are irresponsible people by and large. The people who are idolized by our general culture are people who ignore God. Self-centered people who care little about everyone, anyone else. People who have no idea and even less interest in any kind of real basic morality. Think about it. These are the people who are fated. These are the people who are celebrated, who are celebrities, as they say, in our culture. The immoral, the selfish, the godless And people make it sound romantic. They call them free spirits. They call them rebels. Our society calls them great. Do you know God has another name for them? He calls them fools. God calls them fools. 69 times in the book of Proverbs alone, God calls people like these fools. Now you see, for us, When we think about a fool, usually we think of someone 
who's got a low IQ. We think that's a foolish person. For God, a fool is someone who has no knowledge of him, who will not acknowledge him, and so who lives irresponsibly and immorally. You see, as far as God's concerned, you can fail every exam under the sun. But if you love God and you seek to walk close to him, you are a wise man, a wise woman in the eyes of God. On the other hand, you can be a creative genius. You can be a wonderful entrepreneur. But if you don't love God, if you're not walking close to God, then you are a fool. So let's go against the flow then. Let's not idolize people who God calls fools. Because as we do, it's too easy for the standards of our idols to become our standards. Second suggestion for living a more responsible life is by opening up our lives more to God's Word. You see, it's in God's Word that we find so much of the guidance that we need to live that responsible life, so much of the guidance that we need for our lives so that we're able to make the right decisions and the right choices. In God's Word, there's so much material that amplifies and expands the Ten Commandments. Why, for example, just take one book of the Bible. Just take the book of Proverbs. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. Do you know, there is teaching in the book of Proverbs that applies to almost every area of day-to-day life. Married life, family life, managing money, business ethics. We could go on and on. It's all there in the book of Proverbs. Now, here's something. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Very convenient for most months. I would suggest read a chapter a day. Maybe at times use different translations to keep it fresh and alive. Read it and then obey what God's Word says to you. And I think all of us will be amazed at how that can transform our lives. Final suggestion for how to live more responsibly is by opening our lives to God's power. If you see, you know, I don't know about you, but as we... Certainly as I, as I think about living a holy life, living a more godly life, well, for me, and I'm sure for many of us, the first thoughts that come to mind are of our weakness and of our many, many failures. But I want to say to you, suggest to you today, you can learn from failure. And God can use failure. You can overcome weakness. God can take you today from where you are And if only you're ready to admit your need of him, if only you're ready to admit your weakness and need, I tell you, God can deal with all your past, all your weakness, all your failure, and God can do and begin a wonderful work of grace in your life. That's not what I say to you. If today your mistakes and your failure, your sin, if that brings you to your knees before God, then that's not a bad place to be. That's actually the very best place to be. It's from there that great things can begin to happen. 
This is what Romans 3, 23 and 24 says in the, the living Bible. Don't use it often, but I will this time. All of us have fallen short, yet God declares us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ who freely takes away our sin. My prayer is that each one of us will be found today in that place on our knees where God in His grace can begin His work in us. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank You that You are a God of amazing grace, that You're a God who works and empowers His people, that You're able to do great and mighty things in our lives if we just make the choice today to turn to You. If we just make that ongoing choice day by day to live in obedience to you. Our God, you're able to do mighty things in your people. Work in each of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.